Welcome to the Restoration Church Life Podcast. We hope this resource helps keep you informed about the various happenings inside the life of our church and equips you to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Hello, Restoration Church. Joey and Nathan here again as we continue thinking about uh, the gospel applied to our lives. And so last time we talked about some general principles uh, for doing that, but this time our hope is to take... To actually begin to do that. Yes, to take these four aspects. There are many more aspects, but these are these are four. Uh, so let's walk through them real quick. So, so propitiation. Nathan, what is propitiation? Propitiation is quenching the wrath of God against our sin. It's quenching His judgment against us. Right. So pro- propitiation reminds us we've been saved from God Himself. Uh, justification, that's our legal standing before God, declared righteous. Lincoln Monument, over to the Supreme Court buildings. Right, so we're saved by God. Yeah. Redemption. Redemption, yeah, now we're in Eastern Market. So we're bought out of our slavery to sin, and we're brought into freedom. We're bought by the blood of Christ, purchasing us into freedom. That's right, so we're saved for God, and then reconciliation and adoption. White House. White House, we are back into the family. And we are saved to God, as it were. And so we're gonna, we're gonna walk through each of these and apply them to some various scenarios. And I think it'd be helpful to say, uh, up front that it's not always neat and clean. Uh, it's not like you take the doctrine of propitiation and you only apply it to situation X. Yeah, yeah, it could work for another doctrine. It could work and they're, they're weaving it in and out. And I think it's also helpful sometimes, I think, when People hear things like this is they need to have all these distinct categories in their mind as they're discipling or counseling another. Like, what does propitiation say? But it's almost like riding a bike. The more you do it, the more fluid it becomes, and you don't think about each doctrine individually. It just begins to flow uh, as you apply. So, anything else you want to add before we jump into some scenarios? No, I think you got it, man. All right, all right. So here we go. So thinking about propitiation in particular. how would you begin to disciple counsel a spouse who is uh, regularly being harsh and angry toward their wife uh, in this situation, or a wife toward her husband? How does the doctrine of propitiation go from words on a page mm-hmm. to counsel in this brother or sister's life? Yeah, we're kind of moving out of the classroom into the living room. Yeah, and it's a it's a yeah. it's a tense living room at the moment. Yeah, yeah. There's some words that are flying. Right. So. Whoever that spouse is that is inflicting some kind of punishment on their spouse, whichever it is, husband or wife, uh, the first thing we want to do is, again, we go back to the doctrine of propitiation, which shows us that Christ received our punishment. And so, therefore, those of us who are in Christ ought not punish anyone else, but especially another brother or sister in Christ. And so, therefore, having understood that, What's happening in those moments, in their anger, one spouse is in some ways inflicting their quote-unquote punishment on them for whatever wrong they felt like they were, you know, uh, they received. And so that punishment that they are inflicting upon them, they are wanting that person to feel pain in some ways, be it emotional pain, some terrible scenarios, even physical pain, things like this. We would want them to understand that they are in no position to uh, punish another person because they were not punished as they deserved. Consequently, they ought not punish someone, even if they do deserve it. And so, therefore, this is what the doctrine of propitiation teaches us. Christ received or quenched uh, the punishment for us on the cross. Therefore, we also ought to receive or quench the punishment of uh, our spouse 
um, if they have wronged us or even if they haven't wronged us. And therefore that should manifest themselves, it should manifest itself in that relationship, in the living room, in some way, grace should be had. Uh, there can be discipline, we can talk about that. Yep. Training, I'm not saying that it should be swept under the rug, but nevertheless there shouldn't be punishment because that's not the way Christ treated us. That's right. Yeah, when we remember our sin against God is infinitely worse than any sin committed against us, yeah. and Christ propitiated to quench that wrath, then it helps inform the way I should treat others. Yeah. Uh, so that that's yeah. one way that propitiation begins to work itself out. That you yeah. mentioned another one yeah. is that sometimes uh, those who love God dearly, yeah. uh, maybe they'll they'll sin in some way, yeah. uh, and or they 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 don't read their Bible for a certain day, yeah. and the next day something bad happens to them. Yeah. And their reasoning is, well, I didn't read my Bible or I didn't yeah. pray, and therefore God's punishing me for not. Yeah. I got in a car accident because I looked at porn yesterday. That's right. So yes, how does the doctrine punishing me? Yeah. How does the doctrine of propitiation inform that situation? So you start by remembering yet again, Christ was punished in our place as Christians. Consequently, if there's something bad that happens, God is not punishing you. I can say that categorically. He is not punishing you. Hebrews teaches us that God disciplines those he loves. That's Hebrews 12. Uh, yet he does not punish those. You say, what's the difference in those two things? They certainly feel the same, but that's true. They may feel similar, but they're not the same. So if I'm punishing my son for doing something wrong, then I am wanting him to feel the wrath of my anger, as opposed to you know, disciplining him in such a way as to train him towards righteousness. The motives are different, therefore the activity or the thing that, that's received by the person is also different. It should be received differently. Namely, it's coming from a place of love instead of a place of anger. Yeah, and I think you just mentioned one uh, that I think is really helpful for all the parents listening, yeah. that I try to never tell my children that I'm punishing them yeah. uh, as best as possible. Mm-hmm. I will use the word discipline mm-hmm. because I think that's corrective. It's yeah. God's role to punish, but it is my role as their father to discipline. Yeah. So even propitiation informs when I'm when I'm correcting my children, that's the mode of its correction in those ways. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about a different one. Let's move. All right, so, right, so justification. Okay. Doctrine uh, of justification is, Joe, yet again, really quick. Declared righteous all because of Jesus. Okay, let's move from the classroom into, I don't know, try, let's think of an environment, maybe. From the classroom into... Uh, let's go into the bedroom with a gal who is weeping okay. because she has been grievously sinned against. Okay, great. Uh, whether that's physically that. or intimately, yeah. uh, justification begins to, to speak into that situation. In pastoral experience, I've, I've sat in counseling rooms in my office with people that have been sinned against grievously, and one of the things that begins to happen is they feel as though uh, they're dirty, they're, they're unworthy of yeah. God's love. He could never love them, yeah. and he wants nothing to do with them. Uh, and so it's in those moments... They might even think that they help bring that situation on. It's my fault. Yeah, it's my fault. Uh, it's not a, um, if I didn't do this, then that would have never happened, right. which is not inherently true. Think about Christ. He did nothing wrong, but he was still sinned again. And so I think when you think about justification in those situations, you can remind this, this sister in this case, or if it was a brother this happened to, that... They are righteous all because of Christ. Mm -hmm. And nothing, literally nothing that has been done to them Mm -hmm. can take that away. I think of Isaiah 1, washed whiter than snow. Uh, And so just a beautiful doctrine of righteousness begins to inform them. Yeah. And all you're doing there, right, is you're showing 
uh, the differences between your identity and your circumstances, right? So we tend to want to define ourselves by our circumstances. But we need to define ourselves by our identity in Christ. So that's what we're doing here. So that's what you just did. The temptation was is to define yourself by the circumstance, but what you did there in helping counsel that person is help them live inside of the truth of who they actually are. Because the evil one wants us to live in you know, whatever circumstances we may be prone to define ourselves on instead of our identity in Christ. That's what he wants to do. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, it's, it's, as we said earlier, that, this is hard. This is why we need people yeah. around us. So it's not just as easy as someone comes to you and they've been violated and you tell them, go remember your justification. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be yeah. real helpful. Hopefully with, with sensitivity and love, you don't just tell them things, but you walk alongside them, gently reminding them of yeah. who they are in Christ. Yeah. And in him, they're righteous. Yeah. There's propitiation, there's justification. Yeah, any other ways justification, Nathan, yeah. you would think? I mean, they, they overlap, but anything in particular as justification comes yeah, out? you think through, just the inner, I think it's helpful to think about what Paul's doing in Romans 7 into Romans 8. You know, he's mindful of what he does and doesn't do all the time, but then he moves into Romans 8. Uh, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we see Paul doing this, right? So that's justification. He has no, in Christ, there's no condemnation. So, for somebody, for instance, that may have actually willfully sinned against somebody, something terrible. You know, imagine if somebody killed another man. It's something awful. They took life from somebody. Else. Like the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans 8? There you go. Yeah. So who, who, exactly, exactly. And so he's able to say that while these things are terrible, and he's going to be tempted to live in the guilt of this terrible thing that he may have done one year ago, six months ago, or one or two or ten years ago, and they keep her haunted by that terrible act. We can remind them of the doctrine of justification that reminds them that in Christ they are totally innocent. They are totally clean because God does not see you in your guilt. He sees you guilt-free because he sees you in Christ. And I think on justification, one more before we move on, would be the the person who willfully sins, maybe not against uh, another in the way you just talked about, mm-hmm. but uh, let's say they went and looked at pornography on a Saturday night. Right. And so they wake up on a Sunday morning, yep. and one of their first thoughts is, "I could not, I cannot go to church this right. morning yeah. because yeah. I did that last night." Yeah. How would the doctrine of justification speak into that? First issue? off, let me back up. I could go to the doctrine of propitiation there, just to yeah. illustrate what yeah, you okay. said earlier. Yeah. These kings could go back and forth. So propitiation by you're not going to church, what you're doing there is you're trying to punish yourself, uh-huh. right? So that doesn't work. Christ has already punished for you, so that doesn't work. So option B, you're saying you're not going to go to church because you're too dirty. That's not true either. So doctrine of justification shows, no, you're perfectly clean and forgiven in Christ. That should give you the strength that you need to walk into church. Can I just keep going here? We'll yeah, 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 I got Redemption. So you've been bought out of the slavery of, say, pornography. And so you might be saying to yourself, I can't go to church today because I am enslaved to this sin in my life as it relates to looking at things that I shouldn't look at. When in fact that's not true. You've been bought out of slavery to sin and into freedom in Christ to obey. And in other words, there's power to obey there. And then even uh, adoption. I'm going to go ahead and move there. So the, the fourth one. I'm not going to go to church because you know uh, I am sort of this rogue. I'm like the prodigal son out in the pit, whatever the case may be. So I'm not going to go. But the reality is, you are that prodigal. You have been welcomed home. You have been given the signet ring and the cape and the and you have the feast and God not only loves you, he likes you and you've been welcomed into his home and so therefore you should come to the household of God as it says in First Timothy 3, come to church. That's right. And when you when you go to daddy and you, you confess and say, I need help, yeah. 
He's not going to be angry and, and spite you. He's going to be perfect in his love towards you. Yeah. So there's there's porn failing to porn, which is used four different doctrines and apply them in each situation. Yeah. But let's say so, yeah, all right. So yeah. uh, re- going back to to, rede- to redemption uh, where you, where you took us. So let's talk about a feeling trapped. So mm-hmm. someone who's feeling trapped by let's say a sin such as an eating disorder, mm-hmm. that they're feeling trapped and immobilized yep. because of this persistent sin in their life, and they don't like it, they're fighting against it, yep. how might redemption begin to, the doctrine of redemption begin to help? You tell me, Joey, what do you think? How would how would the person struggling with an eating disorder, uh, how does redemption speak into that? Well, first, one of the first things I think it does is, is it acknowledges redemption. If we need to be redeemed from something, mm-hmm. it acknowledges that there are brokenness and sins in this world that still attack us, that are mm-hmm. still upon us. And so not saying, oh, we'll just get over it. It's nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. I think redemption reminds us that though we can't, we're not enslaved, we're still enticed by those things and the world is still oppressing upon us. Right. And so I think that reminding it, yeah. We Why else to, do you need those commands? Do not conform to the power of the world unless it was true. Yeah. Exactly. So remembering that aspect of it. But then what you just said is that the shame and the guilt of being uh, immobilized by something like an eating disorder, I need to remember that through the Spirit, I have been bought out of that. That does not define me. Mm-hmm. And by the power of the Spirit, these persistent sins, I can be released from them, which mm-hmm. reminds me I can tell others. Mm-hmm. So if I've been redeemed, mm-hmm. I can tell others, hey, I've got this issue. I need you to walk alongside of me in this mm-hmm. and remind me of my redemption and give me practical helps right. and spiritual helps so that I can live in light of my true identity. No longer a slave, yeah. but as a son or a daughter. It was for freedom that you have been set free. That's Galatians right. five one. That's yeah. right. That's true. That is a indicative truth, as we say. Yeah. So, uh, other areas in particular that you redemption might redemption. be very helpful. Well, we talked about porn. We talked about eating disorder. You know, I, I can even think of through habits of, uh, you know, maybe habits of laziness. You know, I'm uh, I'm an undisciplined man, let's say, and uh, you kind of feel trapped in that uh, lack of discipline. You know, we can remind ourselves in redemption that we have been bought out of those traps of laziness, and there is power to redeem you out of those patterns into patterns of obedience and love and. Those kinds of things. And so it would be wrong to say, I can't. It'd also be wrong. We sometimes say, well, this is just the way I am. Like, no, 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 no. You know, that's, we've been bought. We are a new creation. We've been born again. And so therefore we have the power to buy us. The, the power has been, has come upon us to buy, purchase us out of those bad patterns into those good ones, whatever it may be. So that would be, yeah. laziness might be another one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think just the, the redemption is helpful because it begins to remind us. Uh, the gospel not only saves us from something, but also saves us for something. Yeah, yeah. And so it should be this working out, the Philippians 2, working out of our salvation. Uh, Which is a good foray into, into adoption. the adoption reconciliation. Yeah, so think of, Joey, can you think of one, maybe a scenario, of how adoption would speak into the everyday life of a believer that's maybe struggling with something. Adoption, again, defined is we're welcome back home inside the family of God. The guilt has been removed, and we have been welcomed happily in the fullness of love into the Father's hand. Yeah, there's there's a host. I, I think one of them is a big one with adoption is identity. Mm-hmm. And when you start speaking about identity, you're, you're going to cover a whole host of issues. Yeah. So let's take uh, someone who is uh, struggling with 
success at work or they don't feel like they have the job title that they want or they feel like they just need to get one more degree mm -hmm. uh, to feel successful, yeah. there can be really good motivations in those things. Right, right. We should work to the glory of God. If God has given you intellect or abilities, use them for the glory of his name. The problem comes when I begin to say, well, if I just got that, then I would be successful mm -hmm. or then I would be worth something. Mm -hmm. uh, I was walking down uh, right by your house the other day, the Safeway, there's a new workout place. I forget what it is, but their slogan is, is create the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're not good enough as what you are. What an enslaving thing. Yeah. Uh, right. And so I think for that, the, the, the reconciliation adoption reminds me, no matter what the world says about my occupation and my job title, mm -hmm. I've got the approval and the love of the dad mm -hmm. of the universe. Uh, and nothing can change that. You can think about a boss, you know, a, a boss being really harsh on you. And maybe the maybe the boss is right. Maybe you really did mess up this past week. Or maybe you haven't been as good. Even in that, even one, if it's false, right, it's really helpful. Like the boss is not even telling the truth about you. But B, even if it is true about you, you're really not a very good employee, you can live in what you just said. Yeah. And so uh, adoption begins to inform those aspects of I don't have to, it's it's not wrong to to desire the love of others around me but I can't be determined by that yeah and so if I am completely undone because I don't feel like my spouse loves me mm -hmm. and that's controlling every aspect right well I've got to remember God loves me in Christ mm -hmm. so there's another way it applies yeah think mm -hmm. about think about how bad of a pastor I would be if I my entire preaching ministry was predicated upon the 135 members of Restoration Church liking me. <laughs> that would be terrible. And all of us as pastors struggle with that. At some right, you place. desire that. Yeah, I want that, yeah. right? I want that. But if I cannot first be grounded in who I am in Christ as a welcomed son of the Most High God, and nobody and nothing can change that, that's going to give me the power and the strength to stand before, say, 150 people on a Sunday morning and preach with confidence. Instead of trying to, you know, palatate all of their desires so that everybody will like me. That gives me freedom, right? But uh, another one would be materialism. Our brother Ryan Lowe is sharing with us this week about lying. How is materialism lying, Joey? And what does adoption say about that? Oh, that's a... So lying and materialism. Yeah. So When you lie, I shouldn't yeah, say materialism is yeah. always lying. But yeah, nevertheless, yeah, yeah. there's probably something behind the pull to materialism that is, is attempting to to sort of say Treat. something that's not true yeah, yeah, to yeah. gain something. Yeah. So materialism is, I would say, is not just the having of a lot of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, materialism, right. I think, is finding your identity in those things. Right. So there's a big difference. Right. Just because somebody has a lot of stuff doesn't mean they're they have succumbed to materialism. Maybe that they just got some money and they're generous with the things that God has given them. Yeah. Uh, and so, but when I, materialism finding my identity, especially if, if I'm a follower of Christ, it is lying because I'm saying my, my worth is wrapped up in my possessions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my worth is not determined by what I have here on this earth. Mm -hmm. It's determined, again, by my relationship with the Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. I've got a big brother, Jesus, and then I have a lot of brothers and sisters on earth. Mm -hmm. And so the greatest possession I have mm -hmm. um, is, is Christ. Yeah. And so that reminds me that he alone fulfills me. Yeah. And so it begins to, to speak in that. And then if I were to just to take lying in of itself, people lie, at least I know when I lie, it is because I'm trying to protect my mm -hmm. reputation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I don't want to be found out as a fraud. Right. Um, and so I'm lying to protect that when God says, I've loved you enough to adopt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my love is lavished upon you. Your identity is secure in me. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that is Christ belongs to you. You have a great inheritance. Right. Nothing can change that. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is, and we're just, we've just taken, we've just skipped a rock across a few yes. things, right? We can, we can do this all day. I've, I've often said to people that I disciple that there is not a single question that the gospel can't answer. Sure. So, you know, everything from the problem of evil to the Trinity to, uh, who Christ is. I mean, I can't, I mean, literally anything, even down to very practical things like we've just been working through. The gospel can answer every single question you can, ask it. Uh, so if ever you're sitting in maybe an evangelistic opportunity and someone asks you a question, what about the problem of evil? Or what about my problem with, you know, let's say I struggle with same-sex attraction or what about that? Or something like that. Whatever the case may be, inside the gospel, those aspects, when you understand those aspects and can begin to do the work of applying them, you're going to have all the resources you need to make disciples, to counsel people in difficult situations, and to point people to a better and a Good life. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm so thankful, Restoration Church, that you guys strive to do this. Continue helping each other apply the gospel uh, as, we, as we seek to build each other up in Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Restoration Church Life podcast. May God continue to give us the grace to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Washington, D.C. and beyond.